3: Nick, today's episode of The Pod is presented by Stamps.com. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. I know you you use Stamps.com. I do. I do. Look, look
1: love Stamps. Don't love the post office. Nobody That's always does. been my story. Nobody I know. Does. Sadly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, it is it is true. I mean, like Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. The other day, I, I remember our, our old apartment back in Florida, they needed me to mail them something. And I was like, you guys can't do this over Zelle email, any other <laughs> communication tool that we have. And they were like, no, can you please mail it to us? So I'm like, great. Now I got to go get a stamp. What am I getting into- mm-hmm. that's right, that's right, Nick. That's what the copy <laughs> here says. It says, tell a story. I'm telling you a story. Listen, folks, whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, which I bet you Nick's wife probably has, or a full blown warehouse shipping out orders, stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, Nick. No special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want. And you'll get an exclusive discount on postage and shipping from UPS and the U.S. Postal Service. So once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup, drop it off, no traffic, no lines, cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com, new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timeline to easily find the best option. Never go to the post office again. All you got to do is just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in POD. That's promo code POD at stamps.com. Never go to that post office again, folks. Hey, everybody. Welcome back, baby. Oh, welcome back to an all new episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And a relieved Raiders fan. I am Nick Saveri. Oh, oh, we are going to get into that. Boy, you tee him up and I will knock him out of the park. Uh, (laughs) On today's program, congressional reporter at the Los Angeles Times, Nolan McCaskill is going to be joining us later on in the show. He covers everything Congress over there. We're going to talk infrastructure, the debt ceiling, cinema and mansion and their holdup. the Voting Rights Act that's coming to the floor in the coming weeks. Uh, So all of that with Nolan later on in the program. Before I get to Nick Saveri, we're going to discuss our main topic today, which was John Gruden's recent firing. Nick and I are both Raiders fans, and we've got a few different takes on what happened with Coach Gruden recently getting fired. But before we get into that, Nick Saveri. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm. I'm not gonna lie.
1: I'm a little tired too, <laughs> not from so much the stories now, but, um, but I'm good, man. I'm. I'm back. To, I'm back on the grind, working with principals. That's another group I tar- are doing my coaching. You know, in addition to working with various schools and the work's rewarding as hell, man. But it's but it's grinding. You know, it's we're doing it. We're doing important work, my colleagues and I. So uh, it takes its toll. You know, also taking care of the kids and, um being safe in these pandemic times so it adds up so i'm, I'm tired but tired but uh
3: but here you know right <laughs> so, a good tired you know it's funny that you know that because no nolan spoke to us a little bit about the grind of covering stories so more on that later on when nolan comes on the program uh nick let's get to our main topic because you mentioned about being a relieved raiders fan you and i were exchanging text messages over the last uh, couple of days Recently, the the Las Vegas Raiders fired their head coach or actually he resigned and they accepted his resignation, John Gruden, for a bunch of misogynistic uh, emails, as well as racial undertone emails that were released from 2011, 2012, 2013 that were found in this investigation on the Washington football team. Obviously, uh, Coach Gruden was not a member of the Washington football team or the Las Vegas Raiders, but he was working at a former employer, ESPN.com, and he was exchanging these these emails with the former team president, Bruce Allen, who he has a relationship with, who used to work uh, for the Raiders. Take a listen to this clip of the summation of what happened in this email scandal.
0: But first, we're going to get to that stunning news from the NFL, and it involves John Gruden. He has resigned as head coach of the Raiders following a New York Times report that he wrote emails over a nearly 10-year period that included misogynistic, transphobic, and anti-gay language. Now, the Times report came days after emails from Gruden surfaced that included a racist comment about NFL Players Association Executive Director Damari Smith. Here are the details from the Times report. In one of those emails, he called NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell a homophobic slur. In another email, he said that Goodell should not have pressured Jeff Fisher, then the coach of the Rams, to draft Michael Sam, a gay player chosen by the team in 2014. Gruden also criticized Goodell and the league for hiring female referees and trying to reduce concussions. And he said Eric Reid, a player who had demonstrated during the national anthem, should be fired. The emails came to light during an investigation by the NFL into workplace misconduct with the Washington football team.
3: So you heard there a, you know, a pretty good summation of the investigation that was happening. Uh, it looks like the investigation may have been done either by the league or by the New York Times. Not totally clear on that. But either way, the story came out through the Times about some of these email exchanges. And it was over 650,000 emails that were recovered. Um, or that at least still are part of this investigation will some more be released. We don't know. The NFL players union has petitioned for the league to release more of these emails in this finding. And remember this investigation was about the Washington football team and a bunch of workplace misconduct, sexual misconduct allegations that were happening. The NFL was doing a full investigation. All these emails get uncovered. And then you find a bunch of John Gruden's emails from, from yesteryears and what he was saying. Um, There's a couple of different things there, and we want to give our takes, obviously, as Nick and I are both sports fans. Nick and I are both not big fans of John Gruden Um, didn't some of us did not want coach back the second time. And mainly it's because, you know, he sat out as an analyst for close to 10, 11 years, wasn't really, you know, working as a coordinator or, or even as a coach in the college level. So the game maybe had passed them by. There's been a lot of statistics around coaches their second time around coming back to a franchise that they either led to the playoffs or had winning seasons prior. Joe Gibbs is a prime example and his second return to the Redskins did not fare very very well. For those of you that don't watch sports, this is all going over your head. But the main point is um, John Gruden second time around did a bunch of different things that rubbed people the wrong way. When he first started in 2017, the former coach, Jack Del Rio, who was previously the coach, was very upset because he was right around 500, maybe a game over, had led the Raiders in 2016 to a uh, 12 and four record in their first playoff appearance. And then the year after, obviously didn't have such a great season, he was let go. And Gruden was given this 10-year, $100 million contract in 2018, excuse me. So um, he was already upset because he didn't feel like he should have been let go. Then there was a power struggle with the current general manager of the Raiders, Reggie McKenzie, at the time. And even in the first press conference of John Gruden, people were asking how the relationship would work. Within months to a year, Reggie McKenzie ended up resigning, right? Right. In comes another general manager and somebody else. And now the power structure normally in football is general manager and the coach reports into the general manager and the general manager always has final say. The Raiders organization flipped it and gave John most of the power based on this contract that he have a a 10 years, a hundred million dollars. First season, three and 13, second season, seven and nine, third season, eight and eight, a lot of collapses. And by the way, I'm doing this all off of memory. I don't need script for this. I've lived this. I watch these games every day. I watch these games every Sunday, and I'm texting Nick about this and another uh, Mutual Raider friend of ours that's been on the program before. So um, a lot of this is for me was game related. Gruden was already on the hot seat, probably going to be let go. But there's a couple of issues here. And the big issue that a lot of people are going to start leaning on and it's going to become politically charged is should a private citizen that sending emails from his work email address from 10 years ago, seven to 10 years ago in this example, Mm -hmm. should those emails come to light based on an investigation that's not about him, not about the company he works at, not even about the company that he works for that let him go. Um, There's a lot of people having different takes on that. That is something that I think is needs to be answered because there's a lot of people, and you've seen it already now from right-wing politicians, and there's been some on the left, let's give fairness here, that have said, this is not right. Somebody's emails coming out to light of 10 years ago that none of us are going to have a job. None of us are going to be able to do stuff because there may be some undertones uh, and you're emailing the person that you're kidding with. Now, I would argue, how about you don't do that through company emails because John Gruden was doing this from his john.gruden.espn.com email and not johngruden888 at gmail.com, let's say. So a bunch that it, it, it happened there um, at the center of it, don't condone any of the language that he used across the board. And a lot of the language that he used in these emails, it made it almost evident that the game has kind of passed John by. The game has evolved. There are now players that have different sexual preferences that are going to be in the locker room. Some are going to be openly like Carl Nassib, who's a defensive end for the Raiders as the first openly gay player in the National Football League, who as of this taping or excuse me, as of last week, he he took a personal day because he needed some time. You know, he saw some of these comments that came out in the email about a different uh, openly gay player that was not drafted. And, you know, he felt a certain way and was like, I need to take a personal day. And we totally understand that. So th- there's, you can't condone the language. You can get into email as a private citizen but he's sending it you know, through his company email address, a very well-known company, ESPN. What are some of your takes, Nick, when you first read all this? I gave everybody the quick summation and the background context that this guy was probably going to lose his job because he was not delivering on the $100 million deal that he had signed a few years back.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, first... And with regards to that contract, um, to fire him would have meant to pay off essentially the rest of that contract. So, you know, I mean, you can make the argument that this is probably for cause, which for cause is an important phrase in Raiders history, as Al Davis once famously fired Lane Kiffin, quote unquote, for cause. Uh, that also involved a uh, overhead machine. Great video on YouTube. Look it up. Oh yeah. Um, so, yeah. If it had just been if Mark Davis had tried to fire him, I think he would have run into, you know, the business end of trying to pay off the rest of a sixty million dollar contract. Um, but I think the other the other part to this too, though, is that you're talking about a situation where and, and you've and Mike, you mentioned this before that, you know, many people would would make the argument that if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna start releasing old materials from people, then everyone would lose their job. Uh, and Mike, and the reality is, yeah. You take me for example, you know, if I had and I haven't, <laughs> you could check my emails if you want. Um, if messages of mine have been put out there and my colleagues saw that, you know, either Bamani or Levitard, someone's put it really well here with the idea that you know you get in tr- you get in trouble in times when things are learned about you that make you unable to do your job. In John Rudin's case, these emails come out. You're Carl Nassib. You're Derek Carr. You are any player on this team, and here's a person who feels a certain way about so many different things in the NFL. Um, this is this is a guy who's a leader of players you know, who who basically, let's be honest for a minute, is running that organization. You know, the ratio actually player personnel decisions was 51 percent Gruden, 49 percent Mayock. Um, so this guy is basically head of the team and this we find out this about him and and it's not so much that you know John's denying it or or John has even proven any evolution as a person. This is not someone that you know when like the Josh Allen thing we think about who's a quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, you know, when he was a, a teenager, had said some pretty offensive stuff and then you know was able to own it and talk about how he's moved on from that at at the time allen's teenager you know it's still not not the thing you do but a little bit more understandable 10 years ago john is 49 years old at 49 if these are the things that you believe and you send them privately to people an important detail by the way he didn't send them to himself other people read these messages and then we still don't know necessarily how the the response that they had so here's a 49 year old person who has this feeling of who, who has this feeling of misogyny, who's a bigot, who has a problem with women, who has a problem with homosexuals. We're supposed to trust him to run an organization just as a, from a private company standpoint. The owner of the business has to go before him and say, dude, you got to go. The issue I've had with all this, Really began with the moment that the NFL suddenly announced that they were stopping the release of the emails. You know that happened. I think it was Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday, and it seemed really just in stark contrast to what had just happened a few days ago. You know, Friday. You know, Friday of you know recently, um, these emails get released, and we find out about you know about Gruden, and then you know we go with one message. It's almost like a trickle, and then sort of a flood. You know, we find out how Gruden feels about, you know, current um, you know head of the players union, Demoris Smith, how he feels about him, which was definitely soaked in bigotry, you know, with an, an anti-black sentiment disguised in a description of Demoris uh, like a part of Demore Smith's body. But and then it just explodes to that this isn't the full extent of what Gruden believes about certain people. So he's got to resign. But then suddenly the NFL says, "No, we're good. That's that's all we need to release." And Mike, that sounded eerily similar to me with the NFL getting rid of the tapes on the New England Patriots back in two thousand three or two thousand four. There's something about the league being very careful about what it lets the public see. So then, so suddenly Gruden's gone, and he should be. But the subject of the investigation, the Washington Football Team, we're done. <laughs> that's 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 the end of it. All those people that were on those emails that were, have had relationships with John Gruden—you know—that we've seen through that—nothing's coming out about them. More importantly, the owner of the Washington Football Team, Daniel Snyder, who was the reason that this investigation began because of how he led that organization—we're not hearing anything about it. And, and that's really where I'm going to end my sort of take on this because I think it's convenient to identify one person. And the way it's being reported, it's almost as though he's the fall guy here, and that's not the way to look at. It. This is a bad employee who needed to go. Um, but there's more people that theoretically should be part of this of this coverage, uh, and the NFL is going to make that a lot harder. You know, when suddenly 650,000 emails got brought down to zero in terms of what the public will have access to, and the players' union, rightfully, and the attorneys for former players, former members of the Washington Football Team. Are all asking the question like why, why turn off the spigot all of a sudden?
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a perfect segue for when Nolan comes on the show because I'm sure something that came out of that was ESPN's Adam Schefter uh, sending a draft of a story he was going to publish to Bruce Allen again, the team president for for the Washington Football Team at the time, and that's something that's kind of like a no no in journalism unless you're trying to you know ascertain you know hey do you like these quotes that are attributed to you in this uh, do i have it right as what you said but that's not what he did he actually sent the entire story so that's the other scandal that broke from this and i'm using air quotes because it's very suspicious that only one person out of 650,000 emails that were found had any type of trippy language or anything that had racial undertones or anything similar to what Gruden is, or at least, you know, to a smaller umpteenth degree. That hasn't been uncovered yet. The NFL Players Union, like I mentioned, is petitioning for Roger Goodell to release more of this. You know, it leaves the door open for people that are, and I don't want to get into the conspiracy theories, but it leaves the door open for people that are believers in conspiracy theories to say, wait a minute. This guy, only one guy out of 650,000 emails was done. They released the story Friday before they play a big game that they're favored in Sunday. The opening drive, they, or the second drive, they have six penalties called against them, You know, f- almost four in a row that extended the drive of the team they're playing. They lose a game to a team that they were favored to beat. This is way too fishy. And then all of a sudden, the guy is released. And then, the like you said, the NFL almost corked the bottle back and was like, no, now we can put this back in the cellar. And it's like, whoa, you can't just put that wine back in the cellar. This thing's great. Like, I mean, great in terms of it's being released. And like, we there's a lot of news here to cover. So um, more on that in the coming weeks, we're going to have some fantastic reporters on that covers some of this stuff and other sports news that that has been happening. Because there's a lot that's crossing over into the news sector, specifically about the NBA vaccinations and Kyrie Irving that we've covered on this show. Uh, There was that scandal that happened in the the Women's Soccer League. So we're going to have some fantastic reporters coming on to cover that. Speaking of fantastic reporters, when we come back after the break, Nolan McCaskill from the Los Angeles Times is going to break down everything that's happening in Congress. This is something you'll want to listen to, folks. We're back after the break. Nicky boy, today's episode of the podcast is presented by Podgo. You know who Podgo is, Nick?
1: Of course I do. (laughs) Who's paying us to talk about this?
3: (laughs) (laughs) That is right. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. You always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. If you got a podcast that you just started up, Go to podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O C-O, and be sure to add our podcast, Can We Please Talk, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. All right, like we mentioned, he's a fantastic congressional reporter for the Los Angeles Times, and that is Nolan McCasco. Nolan, Mike, Leon, Nick Severi, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today.
4: Hey, thanks for having me, guys.
3: Absolutely, man. Uh, so listen, I want to get into it real quick about everything you've been covering over on the Hill, uh, obviously infrastructure. That's such a big word. <laughs> I, want you, I want you to tell us what is the latest happening with the infrastructure bill? Every single day, it seems something else is moving left or right with this. We obviously know the two Democratic senators that are like still budgeting on these numbers or fixating on these numbers. What's the latest you can share with us as this, this tape?
4: Uh, apparently, the biggest news is that it's not just going left to right; it's going to Europe. Uh, Senator S- uh, Kirsten Cinema uh, from Arizona. You know, the New York Times reported that she, you know, took a fundraising trip to Europe. Apparently, on behalf of you know the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. I don't think that the DSCC was willing to confirm that to the New York Times. But she had been under a lot of pressure from protesters finding her everywhere she goes, whether it's a bathroom, whether it's the Boston Marathon. Uh, even though I think she ended up canceling that trip. Uh, but right now, all the attentions on Senators Joe Manchin and Sinema, uh, people want to know what do they actually want. Manchin's been a lot more forthcoming. You know, he's been much more friendly with the press. Uh, Senator Cinema has not been as forthcoming. You know, I, I read a report this week that she says she's only negotiating directly with the White House, so she's kind of ignoring her Senate colleagues and the people in the House where she used to serve uh, in Congress. But right now, we're still trying to find out what's the top line number. Uh, Democrats are still negotiating you know, how do we drop from 3.5 trillion to whatever the new number is? Is it cut programs uh, to you know keep a robust funding of popular policies that you know was previously in the larger package? Or do you try to keep everything but just do it for a lower number of years and hope that, you know, when these programs expire, that they're so popular that if Republicans are in power, they won't cut it, or you know, for Democrats, hopefully they're still in power and they'll be able to continue to fund them. Uh, so that's pretty much where we are. I think the White House is getting a little tired of the negotiations dragging on. I, I, know, I know that everyone would love to see some legislation passed and signed into law by the end of the year. Uh, Democrats have set a new October 31st deadline. The reporters are hoping we're not spending Halloween inside the halls of Congress, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, when I talk to people, no one really knows what the end result will be. I mean, people are pretty optimistic that you know these two bills will both pass. The question is, when, you know, what's the top line number? Uh, what do these programs look like? Does anything get cut? You know, how long is the funding? Uh, but I think the American people, you know, just want to see some benefits. They want to see that Congress works for them uh, and continues to do work. Uh, right now, everything's been largely behind the scenes. Congress has largely been in recess the past two weeks, and reporters are just waiting to find out more information. What's the top line number? You know, what, is, what are Senator, Senators Cinema and Manchin doing? Uh, how involved is President Biden uh, right now? We have a lot of questions, not so much, an- not not so many answers, uh, but I guess time will tell.
1: Nolan, do you get the sense that Democrats will get no support from any of the fifty Republicans? Hence the um, just the dealing constantly and trying to hear out what Sanders, Manchin, and Sinema uh, are, are asking for.
4: You no, know, the bipartisan infrastructure bill did have bipartisan support for support from Republicans in the Senate. Uh, seems like members of the House Republican Caucus are sort of backing off that because the two bills are linked together and they don't wanna you know, say that they supported one bill knowing that Democrats were gonna go it alone and you know, pass trillions of dollars worth of more spending. Uh, so this entire reconciliation process is supposed to be you know, purely democratic in the Senate, You know, 50 member vote plus VP Kamala Harris coming in to break a tie. Uh, We're likely to see the same thing uh, in the House. I don't think that Republicans will be willing to put their name on such a massive spending bill, Uh, but if the programs do prove popular, I wouldn't be surprised if you see members touting how there are benefits in these bills for their constituents, Uh, but I don't think that they plan to vote along with uh, the Democrats, especially in any large numbers.
1: The previous president, you know Trump, obviously, uh, hinted at supporting challengers of members of his party when they didn't support him. Do you get any indication that Biden or Pelosi for that matter are exploring in any way, potentially trying to throw support toward a opposing candidate for either senator?
4: Uh, I don't think so. Uh, Joe Biden is definitely a creature of the Senate. So he knows Joe Manchin. Uh, He was in that chamber for, I think, at least six terms. So, you know, that's 36 years. Uh, He knows the body well. He knows how to legislate. Uh, I think he understands that Joe Manchin is the most conservative Democrat in the Senate. He's obviously not going to vote the same way Bernie Sanders is. He has an entirely different constituency. You know, Manchin is someone who's not up for re-election until, I believe, 2024. You know, he's in a very conservative state. Uh, Democrats believe he's probably the only Democrat who could, you know, keep that Senate seat. So when it comes to power and who has it, uh, you know, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they have to lean on Joe Manchin because when you look at the Senate right now, it's a pure 50-50 split. uh, And that means that you have to appease Joe Manchin. You have to make sure that whatever legislation you're passing or talking about that, you know, he's comfortable with that because he, he's someone who believes in the old school bipartisanship. That's something that Biden believes as well. And then these are, we're talking about pretty pure politicians. Trump came in to shake things up. He definitely did that. He's still trying to do that. He's threatening to support primary challenges to people who supported his second impeachment. You know, he goes off on Mitch McConnell and calls him names. Uh, he loves Kevin McCarthy, apparently he calls him my Kevin. Uh, but with Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, uh, we see that they're much more mature figures. They're not willing to stoop that low. You know, Joe Biden may use tough words, but his tough words don't really compare to the, uh, the rhetoric that we saw from uh, the Trump administration. You
3: know, it's funny. I, I was going to ask you something totally different, but I want to stay on that because, you know, I- I- before you hopped down, we mentioned you worked at Politico and now obviously you're at the Los Angeles Times. Uh, covering the administration previous, have you ever seen anything like that? you know, specifically for people that like Nick and I and other people that watch the the different news outlets, um, they may see something and say, well, that's pretty crazy. But then if I watch it on a different network, it's slanted this way and that way. For somebody that's been covering uh, the different congressional leaders and presidents, like what was it like covering a lot of this stuff? Like, was there any day where you were just like, well, that's a little bit crazy. I've never seen that.
4: It was exhausting to say the least, but, you know, a a lot of DC reporters made their name during the Trump administration It was a place where people would talk to you, they tell you unbelievable things that, you know, we've often found out were true, even though the president started smearing reporters and smearing outlets and just crying fake news, Uh, but just It was just a remarkable pace of news that was coming out of the Trump administration. You've got the Muslim travel ban, uh, so many investigations and probes and questions of ethics with the Trump Hotel at the old post office. He's got family in the White House, you know, ex-wives talking about this and that, family members writing books. And now post-administration, you've got a bunch of former staffers you know, sort of changing everything about them and, you know, sort of going to the other side. At one point you had Anonymous, you know, pinning an op-ed in the New York Times. So the Biden administration has been much calmer. Uh, The Trump administration, I was a breaking news reporter at the time, so I spent a lot of time following his tweets. I got tweet notifications and I had two phones and an Apple Watch. So I got so many buzzing notifications that were driving me crazy. Sometimes, you know, they would wake me up instead of my actual alarm. And it's like, what is he talking about this time? Uh, so you were so up for confifi
3: yeah. yeah, you were up for Confifi. <laughs> That's right.
4: I, um, uh, I did end up traveling with the uh, with President Trump on Air Force One one time, and that happened to be the day that he like flew to Manhattan, or you no, know, he like, flew on Long Island. Uh, ended up sort of endorsing police brutality. You know, came back to Joint Base Andrews. I remember standing under the wing of Air Force One. It was raining. we trying to stay dry. Uh, my first time on the plane so like I'm wondering why we're still waiting here and you know not going back to, to the White House Then my phone buzzes you know I check in and realize you know we're stuck in the rain right now because the President of the United States is tweeting that he's firing his Chief of Staff and promoting his Homeland Security Secretary. Well that was a very bizarre experience on the ground being you know right next to Air Force One standing on the wing of the plane and realizing that this is a president who really does put Twitter first and prioritize this as communication. And it's just hard to, hard to put into words.
3: Yeah. Well, my man an umbrella. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, so let me ask you, let's get back to what's actually happening now in DC. Um, I read recently, I think purple room politics reported something about uh, Senator majority leader, Chuck Schumer is going to bring up a voting rights bill. And I think that's backed by, uh, Senator Manchin, uh, in the coming weeks, or maybe even be next week. Um, so what's the latest in terms of voting rights legislation being passed at the federal level? You know, we've had a couple reporters from different states, specifically in Florida and in Texas, talking about some of the voting rights legislation, specifically in Texas, with Elizabeth Findell from the Wall Street Journal who came on, talking about what was passed there and what it kind of restricts. But what can be done at the federal level? And what's the legislation that's coming before that, that Schumer's bringing?
4: Uh, so the, the legislation Senator Schumer was talking about, I believe it's called the Freedom to Vote Act. It does have support from Joe Manchin, which is very important in terms of Democrats having the ability to, you know, have a uh, united support among their caucus. Uh, I don't think that Republicans will be behind this. This is a bill that basically sets some national voting uh, standards. So it wants to have like a mandatory minimum of two weeks early voting, automatic voter registration and wants to make election day holiday, so that, you know, people have more access to get to the polls. Uh, obviously what we're seeing with a lot of Republican le- legislatures across the states is they wanna restrict access. They wanna make it more difficult. And you know they're saying that they're doing this in terms of voter integrity. They're pointing to the 2020 election and Trump's claims of fraud, which we all know are false. Uh, but it's just been building and building. We, we saw what happened with Georgia. We saw what happened in Texas. Uh, Arizona, I believe is pushing legislation. Many other states are doing this as well. So if this legislation were to pass, I think it would help ease Democratic activist concerns about trying to not only educate people on new voting rules and, you know, how to register, when you can vote now, you know, whether you're allowed to have water. Uh, this would do a lot of things to sort of combat some of the legislation that we're seeing try to restrict voting, but it seems to me like seems to me like this would be more of a show vote. I don't think that there are 10. Republicans who would go along with this and then I think it'll just continue to you know stir up conversations about the legislative filibuster and whether that's something that Democrats are trying to do away with again this goes back to Senator Joe Manchin who said he's not going to touch that uh, Senator Sinema as well has said she doesn't want to abolish the filibuster uh, there are questions about a potential carve out to you know get a, get away from the filibuster for special circumstances uh, but once you turn to that you know you could have people argue that you know, for this legislation, we should do that as well. You know, for immigration, we should have a carve out, you know, not just for voting rights, but for healthcare, we should have a carve out. Uh, when it comes to uh, you know, affordable college, we should have a carve out. So that's a tough uh, stance to take, uh, but I think Senator Schumer does wanna put some pressure uh, on Republicans. He does wanna continue to highlight that at the state legislative level, Republicans are trying to make it more difficult to vote in the name of integrity uh, is what they're saying. But it does just seem like this is more of a messaging stunt versus an effort to actually pass legislation. Because, again, I don't think that there are 10 Republican senators in the chamber who would, who would back this next week.
1: Moving over to a more sexier topic, budget reconciliation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where's where's our music? I don't no, know. we am going to play it in post. Our, our, our budget got cut on that? Okay. Yeah. Nolan, take us through... Take us through what that concept is. Like right now, we're talking about the debt ceiling and whether it's raised and what's going on there. What do you know about it? And just educate our audience about what does that mean from a legislative standpoint?
4: So essentially, this is a budget maneuver that allows the party in control in the Senate to skirt the filibuster uh, to pass a policy. So like my first experience with this process was I believe when Republicans were trying to repeal Obamacare, even though they didn't have a plan uh, to replace it with. Uh, so I was watching that debate at the time uh, during the Trump administration when he was in the White House. Uh, sort of been something that you know both parties have tried to use more and more. I believe that the Democrats got a ruling that they could actually use it more than once per year, but essentially, you know, it has to hit some certain budget conditions. But largely, the essence of it is to be able to pass a policy uh, with just 50 votes because obviously Democrats don't have much more than that. Uh, Bipartisanship isn't very strong on the Hill right now. Uh, So this is just a process that legislators can use to sort of skirt the typical everyday rules that make it difficult. You know, the Senate is a place where bipartisanship is supposed to reign supreme, whereas in the House majority rules. Uh, So yeah, this is just a complicated way to Pass legislation without the other party
3: supporting. It. You know, Nolan, I wanted to ask you, um, when we read or watch news for the people that are listening to the show and they, they sometimes they don't put on C-SPAN, right? And they're watching or they're listening to you right now, or they're watching maybe a short clip on one of these shows across the news networks about Congress. What do you feel is being noticeably underreported?
4: I think one issue is that people are so focused on a top line number and they're focused on, like, you know, whether climate change is going to be there and what that will look like. I don't think that people really understand how the bill will affect them. And it's hard to really, you know, tell people how it will affect them because, you know, the text doesn't exist because they haven't really agreed on a number. Uh, But I think that this is a hugely consequential bill, uh, which is why we're seeing Democrats put so much effort into trying to make it pass. I think that if they are, are unsuccessful, you know, they could really pay for it at the polls. I mean, we talked about voting rights, Democrats had a lot of priorities that they campaigned on. We've seen them pass a lot of legislation in the House, uh, popular, popular legislation, be it, you know, HR1, the HR1, the For the People Act uh, and other bills, but you know, the Senate hasn't been able to do anything, which goes back to the filibuster. So it's, it's just very complicated for Congress to do much. And so they've been focused on infrastructure, it seems like for months, uh, hoping to get something done by the end of the year. Uh, and I think that right now people plan to campaign on what's in this bill. Uh, you know, I've heard from Republicans that Democrats haven't done a good job actually naming the bill. I mean, infrastructure, reconciliation, build back better. You know, it's not Obamacare. It's not the Affordable Care Act. You know, it doesn't have that same name, same ring to it. And so Democrats say that what's in the bill is popular, but I don't really get the sense that uh, everyday voters really understand what's in the bill. So I think Democrats need to improve their messaging if they really want this to sink. I mean talking to my own dad, you know, he doesn't want the child tax credit because he feels like, you know, he'll just have to pay it back when it comes to comes time to file taxes. So I think that Democrats have a lot of work to do to try to tell everyday voters that You know, we haven't just been talking about infrastructure for months and months, but this is how you know this legislation will actually impact you. You know, this these are some of the benefits that you will get back. This is how we're trying to address climate change. Uh, And right now, I think there's just been so much focus on trying to break news and get scoops on what's the top line number. What are cinemas, senators, cinema and mansion up to? you know, what are the negotiations looking like that we're sort of forgetting about the impact uh, and obviously policy impacts people. And, you know, the people are what we're reporting for, the people are, you know, who senators and uh, members of Congress are representing uh, in their respective chambers. And so it's just been tough to, you know, tell people what's in the bill because the bill doesn't exist. But, you know, at the end of the day, think that it's on uh, journalists and it's on members of Congress uh, to really do the due diligence and actually tell people what's in this legislation once it is finally drafted because I think that it is very consequential. It's a massive bill. Uh, It will affect people in a bunch of different ways uh, and I think they just need to be told and, you know, understand what is in it and so that they know how it affects them and they can vote, you know, depending on whether they like the bill or not, whether it's improving their lives or making things more difficult, you know, they should have that knowledge going into the polls in November, 2022.
1: Stunning that Democrats still struggle with messaging. You'd think they get it. Yeah, we've never mentioned that either yeah, on I this show. I swear, yeah. no. if we had a nickel for every time we've talked about that, either through text or through this show, yeah, we would have quit our day jobs and just basically have done this program. Right. Um, now, and something that I've been wondering about is, you know, a couple, of, you know, with the previous administration, at one point the Republicans had control over the House, Congress, and the White House, um, and the only thing they managed to get passed was essentially tax relief uh, for you know wealthier Americans. We're currently in a pro in a place right now where it seems like Democrats are running into a similar struggle where there's a a challenge of relief, uh, re- not relief, sorry, unity within the party. Is that analogy or is that comparison fair or is there something more nuanced about what's happening with the Democrats right now?
4: No, I I think it is fair, but obviously there's a difference in their majorities. Uh, The Democrats have a very, very small majority in the House and even small majority in the Senate, whereas Republicans had a larger cushion. Uh, But at the end of the day, uh, Republicans did control the White House. Then they did control the House. They did control the Senate. And uh, like you said. Democrats now control the White House. They now control both chambers of Congress, and they're also struggling to get something done. Uh, The difference is I I, I do think that Democrats will be able to get this across the finish line, uh, but Republicans have been ready for this since Democrats really started talking about this issue and trying to create this massive uh, trillion-plus dollar dollar bill. I think the first figure that was floated was around $6 trillion. It's been cut to $3.5 trillion. But legislating is hard work. It's easy to campaign on an issue and talk about what you would do if, you know, if you had the power, if you had Joe Biden in the White House, if you controlled the House, if you controlled the Senate. It's easy to, you know, say a few popular lines and get applause in a speech. Much harder to get every member of your caucus to get behind provisions in a bill that affects so many different people and constituencies. Uh, Very tough to get the most conservative Democrat in the Senate to agree with, the most liberal Democrat in the Senate and so what we're seeing right now is just that legislating is hard work. You know, people were campaigning on this issue. That's one thing. Now they actually have the power to get it done. And it's proving to be a difficult task.
3: Nolan, you do fantastic work. Los Angeles Times congressional reporter. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. We truly appreciate it. Continued success, my friend, and all the best to you.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: All right, that was the fantastic. I love using it, Nick. Everybody knows it. Fantastic, Nolan McCaskill at the Los Angeles Times. Nick's going to mention it before we leave. Print journalism, subscribe. Support to Support
1: print journalism. Get, yep. get all over that
3: paywall, people. Put Subs- your money up. Subscribe to the LA Times. You can check out all the great work that Nolan has done there so far. He's only been there for actually for a few weeks. Um, he left political recently to, to join the LA Times, but he covers everything happening with Congress. Um, some great breakdown there. Uh, you know, I love. I love that reporters that cover it, you can tell right away if they know what they're talking about specifically, you know, there could be some, some reporters that disconnect from it. Hey, you know, this is my job. I'm just covering it. I'm getting quotes. I'm meeting with a source and I'm writing a story. Right. And and then that's it. And I really disconnect or I don't really engage in everything civically. He told you a story about, about his dad and, you know, and, the and the child tax credit. So like, you can tell, obviously he's civically engaged, but also you can tell he knows what he's talking about in terms of covering it. Um, what were some of your takeaways, uh, from what Nolan's been reporting on and then, you know, what's happening, uh, you know, through Congress?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the most important point is the one you just said, you know, like any good print journalist or any good journalist, you know, no one sticks to his beat. Like if he's getting into a place where this is, this is not his bag. he's open to talking about that, about, about, and you know, he's not, he's not like some of these talking heads that we've seen on ESPN or any news network that will just run at the mouth about pure nonsense. No one knows what he's talking about, as is true for any, any journalist we've had on this program. Uh, but yeah, the takeaways for me is just, I think it's positivity is what stands out to me. Um, he had mentioned a couple of times that he he remains pretty positive that you know we're going to see an infrastructure bill um, get get to the finish line, as Nolan put it. Um, obviously, I think for any, any any American, I think that's that's good to hear. Um, but I think his I think his breakdown of really what the split looks like in the Senate and you know why are Democrats working so hard with um, is Senators Manchin and Sinema to try to figure out where is you know where is that that line of acceptance for them as it relates to um, the infrastructure bill we know with Senator Manchin like there's essentially a dollar amount that he's looking at which I think at this point was something to the tune of like a trillion or 1.5 trillion that he's okay with uh, Senator Sinema, we're trying to still figure out you know what it is that she wants um you know and Nolan does a great job of sort of explaining that and more importantly the the value of what the Democrats are doing with Two members within their own party that there is no opportunity to go across the aisle to get support. Um, yeah, so those were those are my those are the biggest takeaways for me.
3: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of news coming out over the next couple of weeks, and then as we get into the later months too, with the debt ceiling and how we meet that. Um, so follow the L.A. Times, follow Nolan McCaskill on Twitter or IG is a great follow. There you can get all the latest congressional news. From Los Angeles Times, speaking of good follows on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok, can we please talk podcast? Give us a follow. Uh, You can check this podcast audio platforms wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube. You want to watch the video clips, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and in the audio podcast show notes. All right, wherever you're watching us, listening to us, there's always a link there for Patreon. Come on over and be a Patreon subscriber. Nolan was fantastic on Patreon, told us a bunch of stuff that you you really want to hear. I'm not no joke about it. I know I'm I'm selling it, but it was really good when you really find out what it's like to balance that line of being a journalist and and somebody telling you something on the record versus telling you something off the record. So, I would highly encourage head over to Patreon, take a listen to what Nolan said. As always, we thank each and every one of you for listening. Uh, We're off next week, but we'll be back next the following week with a brand new episode. I am Mike Leon, and grateful for print journalism and this program. I'm Nick Savary. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next
1: time.
4: Later.